would you count it down like that? Why would you ever do that? To keep it spicy. A, you, you know? should have said caliente. It, it would have been funnier. B. Fuego. To keep it fuego. Get, fuck off. Um, <laughs> I, I will. We're starting on the right mood today because today is hot takes and I'm already upset with Julian. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm That's already how upset I wake up you. most days. Hey, you, you, <laughs> yeah, every day I wake up and I'm just like, fuck that guy. I mean, Eric, you did ask earlier. You were like, just just pre-check pre my takes. How do the boys feel? And I was like, well, I, I disagree on most of them. So I think you've done your job for the most part. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I, I know one that you disagree with, and I'm, fi I'm fine to argue that point because I know that's contentious. But uh, the others, I think, are legitimately uh, entirely defensible and 100% justifiable. So you think they're no, cold, no, then, no, and therefore you have not. I done your just job. know that <laughs> most magic players are wrong. <laughs> All right, for those of you who have not listened to our other hot takes podcast, welcome to Hot Takes, where if I say a statement, um, it is true. Someone else says it; it's somewhat dubious. Um, we've all come with three or four statements about magic that we think are true, or things that should change that we believe are a minority opinion, or something that might be a little spicy in the community, and we're here to discuss them. We have alcohol, so things will be incredibly uh, above board and very... Um, we'll, we'll be speaking very educatedly. That's not a word. It's already setting Tim's in. Tim's already had a bit to drink. We've had a sip. Yeah, I was going to say, I think... I think one of the one of the iciest cold takes is that is that everyone except for Pod here approves liberal editing of things that Chev says on the pod because sometimes he just fucking I, goes for Oak, it. Oak, I just I just read your takes and I need you to start with number two because I'm so curious. I'm sorry for disrupting the <laughs> intro, but I just I need to hear the explanation of this. Well, dude. Oh, I love this. We can, I'm hot. I'm hot for this. Do we want to let Jeff finish the yes, intro? I, was there any more? That, that was it. That's all I got. We're we're all apparently right, getting hot it. and heavy, so all right, uh, we, all right. we have some some requests for an Oakley take. Yeah. All right. Okay. So my the take in question here is that um, I think enter the battlefield effects essentially should not exist, like for creatures at least. For does creatures. this include cast triggers or no. you specifically? Okay. Does not include cast triggers. Uh, well, be because that would that would Jeff that would. That would nerf Maelstrom, and that's unacceptable. Exactly. That's true. Yeah, Completely that's true. horrible. Yeah, we got to have that, the carve out. It, we can't have it be uh, too, you know, we can't we can't under unpower my decks uh, too much with the <laughs> effects. got to be a little bit biased. <laughs> um, seriously, though, um, I feel like creatures and spells, they should be two different things. But... We got so many of these creatures with just these busted ETB abilities, especially recently, I feel like. And it's too easy to abuse, uh, I think, is, is the biggest part. Like, a cast trigger, you know, okay, that that's fine. I feel like that's fine for, like, bigger creatures, you know, Maelstrom. But seriously, <laughs> like, Eldrazi, like, if you're at Eldrazi gets countered by two-mana counterspell, that's, that feels bad, right? But you get, you get the little cast trigger in there, so it's a little, like, you know... You get something out of it for, for 10 mana. Um, <clears throat> now, answer the battlefield effect. Sure, they're the, if they were to just vanish, then that would make counterspells um, a bit worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no doubt. But if they're, just, they're just too easy to abuse. Uh, 
even like a leave the battlefield effect, like if you think about like if you play a creature and then you play like a flicker effect, for example, that's two ETBs and you get to keep the creature as well, which is like I mean God knows how big that is. Uh, if it's like you know a primeval titan, then <laughs> it's it's this massive six six dude. Um, but like a, a leave the battlefield effect, I know it seems very similar, but uh, in in the same sort of scenario, you only get one of those triggers uh, essentially. So if you follow the same line of play, that is. So like uh, you play the creature, you get nothing except a body. You flicker it, it leaves the battlefield, you get the effect, it comes back, you have the body. But you don't get the second effect until it dies, in which case you no longer have the body anymore. QED. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell I me I'm so. wrong. <laughs> I, I I think a lot of this right. has some some good points, um, especially because as cards and creatures have gotten more and more effects on them, they're just spells with bodies. So then it's like, w what is the difference between these two things? Um, especially when, like you said, Oakley, you get the body on it, and it just makes them feel less like a creature if you're playing it for the ETB than the actual body on the card. So I agree. I, I definitely think LTB should stay. Um, I don't think better ETB should ever be printed on creatures again. I agree with that. All right. Maybe this isn't as hot as I thought. Well, yeah, it be, I, I think it's I think it's a super hot take. I think that we are just all men of culture and we understand <laughs> okay. what's up. Okay. But like, well, it sounds yeah, like, like Eric is is not feeling like a man of culture. It sounds like uh, er, Eric might have some some. Opinion. Yeah, Eric, yeah. Go, go ahead. So what, I, what do you want to say? I, I have a couple questions. One. Uh, would you like to see more cast triggers on creatures in this case? Not necessarily. Okay. Like it, when I say like like Primeval Titan as the example, like I wouldn't want Primeval Titan's ability to be on a cast trigger. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like again, that's just like okay. Now like if someone wants to counter that, you you don't get to counter like the other really good part of that spell. If it were to be things that. We're, if we, we were like, if Wizards was to like port over all the ETBs into cast triggers tomorrow, some refactoring would have to be done yeah. for sure. <laughs> some 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 reconsideration. Um, yeah, for real. Yeah. Um, and then, as, as sort of an additional question, in yep. your mind, how do creatures keep up with the power creep that is occurring on uh, sort of all styles of cards without ETBs? How do we avoid? Every creature is a big dumb beat stick, or you know, ends up with these busted passive effects that sort of have to be kill on sight. Because I think ETBs allow for creatures to be powerful but have small bodies, and I think you'd end up with really strong mid range or aggro decks if you said, okay, well, creatures no longer benefit you when they come into play, so they have to be benefit you by existing in play. Um, but there's more things that something can do besides existing, like attacking, I feel yeah. like is a, is a good example of like, if you ported, like, if you took like an ETB and made it an attack trigger instead, that just instantly makes it like 10 times more balanced. Um, I, I feel like, because, uh, you're mentioning like, okay, uh, a creature comes in and it has like a powerful static effect, it has to be removed immediately. Well, a creature with a powerful ETB has already essentially done... The damage, uh, done some amount of damage, and even if it is removed, it's like, okay, you've lost the body, but you still gained the effect of the ETB. Mm. Um, whereas that creature with the static effect, it, it's, the static effect now disappears with the body itself. Um, 
I think activated abilities are another good avenue for that, too. Uh, I mean, especially, like, tap abilities, which can, like, in... in Falls into uh, a similar practice. thing as attacking, in terms of, like, how often you can yeah. get them and everything. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about this, right? And uh, the first thing, actually, that came to mind is Ragavan. <laughs> and uh, now I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that's better <laughs> as an ETP or an attack tricker. Because <laughs> you can attack with that thing so many times. But, I mean, okay, that maybe that's just a special case. But Ragavan's I, I, special I think, for a lot of reasons. I think powerful yeah. creatures I, I, I think, that come well, down that... early are always going to be problematic. Like mm -hmm. if, if I was gonna say, isn't that a, a deal combat damage though? Not just that's, not just an it, that's true. Yeah, it is deal so combat it's, damage. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a problematic card for other reasons. Yes, but you know, yeah. Right. Um, maybe it's, it's it's ability might be a little bit too good, but I I think something that should be said about this is one, people who have not listened before, a majority of these takes are, um, this is sort of how we feel, but they're generally hyperbolic. ETP effects should not exist on creatures, I don't think is exactly how Oak feels. Like you said, there should be some tweaking, and obviously we can't go back and retool the entire Magic catalog. Um, but I, I understand where he's coming from in the fact that now, like, like you said, either now you have to play all counterspells to stop ETBs, um, or all of a sudden now all these creatures are basically two-for-one-ing you because they, ha they have a, a full, in, in, in most cases, a full card's worth of something tacked on, um, and then they also attack block, potentially have activated abilities, um, etc. I think the thing is, if you if you either like super nerf ETBs or or theoretically take out ETBs altogether, um, now like you said, cast triggers uh, happen, so counter spells for creatures, except unless they're really big ones, don't matter. Um, but also now kill spells, which have gotten very efficient, um, and unfortunately have not been that great just because we do have ETBs now kill spells everything just gets doombladed it's like you never actually get to attack with anything so there's there's some retooling to be done but uh I agree things things have gotten there's there's too much you know the it's like the the rent is too damn high meme well these, these creatures do too damn much so really. kind of jumping off that oak I, I think that goes directly into one of my hot takes which was um I was gonna say Rule text length should be directly proportional to mana cost. One pip gives you one line. Ragavan, that's that's five lines without reminder text, so we got to cut that down. Um, but mostly I'm thinking of things like Esper Sentinel. That's five lines for one pip. That's not good. Birds of Paradise is like, okay, you know, if you change the font size, add one mana of any color. Um, you can take that, take off flying, you're good. I know that this would hurt a lot of commanders that have a, a metric ton of text. I'm fine with that. Like, I, I think that if you're trying to play cards early, they shouldn't have too much of a breaking effect on the game or be incredibly powerful. And even with a rule like this, Ristic Study still passes the test. Um, other cards that are like a five or six mana Battlecruiser Commander will still pass the test a lot of the time. Funnily enough, Silvala Stampede doesn't pass the test. That's nine lines of text. Get that shit out of here. Oh, we, we can For shorten six mana, that up. Either boost the cost of the card or do something else. But I think like... There is a lot of space to explore designs of more battle cruisy cards. If we're going to focus in Commander as the format, make it a little battle cruisery. You don't need to fit that much text onto a low cost card. Trevor, a few things I want to say about that. I clever. I I I, I understand the uh, the spirit of your take. I I do want to say though sometimes, um, and it's it's annoying, but the rules are the rules for a reason. So sometimes we just have to have a lot of words to make sure that things function. Nope in the rules then it should and be one i believe mana. that eric and i believe that eric 
Well, I mean, even something that's two mana is... But I believe Eric said this when we were talking about Kamigawa, that, like, even though it was the wordiest set, there's a lot of cards where you read it, and technically, yes, the physical length of the sentence or sentences is that is that much, but it's very easy to understand. Uh, the other thing is that once you get past, like, four lines of text, you have a lot of space to be doing a, real, a lot of really busted things. So even if something's, like, five mana and you get five lines of text, if, if, if we're going to continue with your, your example, now I'm scared because... Well, you don't need you to go up to, to eight or nine mana. It. Like, because you're a nine mana spell doesn't mean you need nine lines of text. I'm saying that that yes, is the Chub, upper limit. Yes, but you have limit. to remember. You got to remember that mythic rares and Timmy's exist. And Wizards is going to print the cards that do the busted things for these people. Right. And then make them cost nine mana and then we're good. That's all I'm saying. You can still have all the same cards. You just add generic to the line of text. See, I think, I, I think this is going to be... If this were to this rule were to be implemented tomorrow, this would just be a recipe for wizards putting everything on a keyword, and then we're getting like <laughs> I'm like a, a bunch more table? <laughs> apex devastators with a cascade, 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 cascade. Um, well, bro, it could be one mana. That's, it's that's on one line. That's only one. That's only one. Yeah, line one mana. <laughs> Call it what are you cascading into? I don't know. I mean, I mean <laughs> technically, yeah, no, that's kind of valid. If you want to cascade four times off a one mana spell. Uh, I do disagree with this hot take, though, but I will wait for others to finish. <laughs> oh, uh, the the other thing, the first thing I, I thought of when you said this was like, hold up, I feel like Hepatra's got more than a few yep, lines here. It Chad. does. You think it, it has, should be, it has six go down? lines. Okay. Make it a six-mana card. Oscar has five lines. Make See, it a five-mana card. Toshiro is the one where it, it gets a little bit tricky because with <laughs> uh, the extra text, that's about nine, but... I'll fall on it. Toshiro, nine mana card. Now, see, Chiv, once again, not that Toshiro doesn't prove to be powerful in our meta, but that's another thing where you could easily, like, what happens is more of like a two-line understanding, but the way that they have to word it and all of that is, like you said, a, a lot of lines. Just keywords for everything. So, there. Next hot take. Um, keywords for everything. Make every ability the new player keyword. experience <laughs> is going to be miserable. It's going to be like... It's going to be like Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I don't even know. Right, because the new, <laughs> the new player experience... experience looking at an Esper Sentinel is, is really, really good as well. At least when you at least when you read it all... if you Well, people don't have attention spans nowadays, but if you read it all the way out, it makes sense. But if you yeah, if you keyworded everything, it'd be like the military. You'd be like, uh, yeah, I'm going to need a, a Foxtrot Mike Juliet Hotel, <laughs> Bravo Delta. Yeah. Would solve Questing Beast. How many lines did that thing have? That oh, ran? my God. Oh, freaking um, Questing Beast. Too, too many. I agree with you on that. I would tweak the formula a bit, honestly. I, I feel like it could be, like, it's CMC plus two or something, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. M most of my well, issue with this yeah. comes in <laughs> with commanders that do interesting things but are objectively bad. I'm very specifically thinking of probably almost every card in the Mono Green Legends deck uh, would suffer mightily under this. Those are not very good cards. Kalvori God of Kinship boils down to if you control a bunch of legendary creatures get plus four plus two and tap it and two look at the top six try and find a legendary creature i think it's how many lines you need to explain the card that matters more than how many lines of rules text because i think that solves julian's complaint <clears throat> of you know two people can explain a card to each other in much less time than it takes to read the rules text and so like uh, Kosei Penitent Warlord is the card that I use specifically as an example in Kamigawa, where, you know, 
it cares about whether it's been enchanted, equipped, and has a counter on it, and then it does some extra stuff. And you can explain these cards relatively quickly, and they have relatively simple effects. It's just that the rules text is big. So I think that I agree with you as long as we modify it to complexity and number of effects should directly scale with mana cost. And, you know, we don't have to have, in the equation, like, y equals mx plus b, b doesn't have to be 0, and uh. m does not have to be 1. Like, we can modify this equation. We can change the slope, we can change the intercept. <laughs> we have... All right, m is going to be... If you're adding to the slope power, to a magic card... <laughs> have, m is the power, b is the number of different colors it is. That's it. We got we'll a formula. Up, we'll have the hex drinker <laughs> equation. We'll we'll put it up on our website. You can put yep. in any card. It'll just give you a yes or no. <laughs> it's like Stalin sword. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Defeated a deck list. Perfect, don't cut out everything that's bad. Perfect new perfect new ban list. If it passes the test, it's good. If it doesn't, get it out exactly. of here. I expect that yep. that <laughs> hex drinker's ban list. That ban list would have like almost an infinite number of problems. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I see no problems with it. I'm glad we're all in agreement. What's the next hot take? <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of cards that we want to get out of here, and speaking since Apex Devastator is actually a one mana card, and it passes that test, I'll give you another reason why it doesn't pass the test and why it would be banned. Um, cards that either uh, cheat into play or, or generate threats at a greater than two for one rate, no, shouldn't exist. Fuck them. All right. I'm so, thinking so, of cards. Yeah, what's an example of a card that doesn't pass, and what's an example of a card that passes? And don't give me like Curd Ape as something that passes. Like, what what is the highest level of for free that you would accept? Questing Beast passes because it's a one for one, right? And um, Triplicate Spirits that doesn't pass because that's a three for one. You get three bodies for for three mana, one card. Okay, obviously, once again, <laughs> once again, the hyperbole here. But I'm thinking like. You're thinking Salvalistan. Something like you're a Genesis Genesis Ultimatum. You're thinking um, Genesis Oaks Ultimatum. Who's um, a pile of garbage that I can't. Remember. I was gonna say, unfortunately, like a lot of the good examples happen to be an Oaks deck. <laughs> but he was talking about how he's gonna play favorite, so you know. Um, but then something like a, uh, I don't know, e ETB, uh, like a Moldrifter. Like a Moldrifter is fine. I guess that's technically pretty. That's pretty low. No, yeah, that's that's yeah, like a yeah, you know. But just th that's the the biggest problem for me nowadays is that way too many things generate and and I and this notice I, I said generate or cheat into play threats. I don't care about your your curtains call killing two creatures with one thing or a wrath of God. That's fine. But these cards that are like all of a sudden, hey, I only expended one physical resource in my deck, and now all of a sudden I have several threats. And let's be real, the quality of threats recently is through the roof. So. Something like that where you can do one card and get a bunch of these different threats. Um, I mean, even something like an Avenger of Zendikar. It's not as egregious, I would say, as like generally playing like a Genesis Ultimatum. But like an Avenger of Zendikar, you're getting a bunch of tokens. Like, you know, those. I wouldn't say that one token counts as one threat. But like when you get like seven tokens and maybe you get like the double landfall, you got like seven two threes. Pretty potent, I would say. So I think that a lot of cards are really uh, punching way above their, their weight class. Uh, generally, and I think that the this that sort of thing should not be. Obviously, we, once again, we can't go back and ban everything, but that should not be a thing uh, moving forward, in my opinion. 
See, to me, this all sounds just like some control player propaganda. Like, you, you can remove multiple threats with one card, but you're, you get to try and build back up? No, sorry. That, that, that just isn't going to happen ever. Not allowed. Yeah, but we know that's not how that works. Because people playing threats, one, you might not have the right answer. There are plenty of cards that don't answer two for one. And plus, you're playing the proactive game plan, right? So, like, you're going, you're forcing me to have the answer. But you're doing it at a, I, I would say, I mean, removal has gotten better recently, yes, like, but not at the uh, the exponential rate, I would say, that the threats have. I was actually fully on your yeah, side. I, oh, I, Chev, do you want to go? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Eric. I was fully on your side until Oak spoke up, and I was like, yeah, no, wait a second, hold on, because I, there are so many times you can, uh, you know, you drop a Selvala Stampede, you drop uh one of the ultimatums that generates resources for you. Um, you know, you go into, uh, like, the big turns that I will have with uh, Joda and Golos, and all... Those are all about, I'm going to cheat as many resources into play as quickly as possible, and those usually come down to me saying to myself, if I don't win this turn, the chances that someone has a wrath and undoes all of this work is pretty high, and I will get blown out I would disagree with that. I, yeah, I, I, I'm Team Julian keep, keep here. Go, okay. Keep going. Keep going. So keep going. I feel like the fact that there are a significant number of board clears and a significant number of powerful control tools that can just say either I have re reversed this scenario and now you are in the disadvantaged state because you expended more resources than me to set up this board than I used to take it down and... The fact that a lot of big combo turns like I would have with Joda can be interrupted by, I see that you're going to drop the Bloom Yoin, I'm going to counter that spell. One counterspell can often answer a lot of these big threats that would generally create like those three-for-ones, those four-for-one scenarios. And so, I, in your uh, post, you specifically call out you're in the Yu-Gi-Oh! mindset, Yu-Gi-Oh! has... A lot different, and in my opinion, a lot worse interaction than Magic. And so I think we can't fully port over that thought process. I agree. Oh, my, my Yu-Gi-Oh! mindset was just, fuck it, start okay. banning everything. Okay. That's um, but more so, I think that your base premise is reasonable, that we need more control over how many threats are getting generated at once. But I think that if I spend eight mana... I should get a metric fuck ton of threat. <laughs> I kind of go back and forth. I think for the most part, I'm team Julian. Um, I also feel like saying that anything can be answered with a counter is kind of difficult when only one color has access to counter magic, where you have a lot more ways to remove, but those removal spells are much more targeted, right? Like, I'm, I again, some of our conversation is going to go back to Selvala Stampede over the course of tonight. But for Selvala Stampede, you get, in a four-person pod, um, four threats on the board, right? And, like, there's Hex for six mana that's destroyed six creatures, but explicitly six creatures. So you can't do any less. And then I don't know what other way you have of dealing with threats that doesn't completely destroy your board that also exists kind of at that cost. Um, or, and, and on top of that, when the threats enter, it's not like 
with this particular card, as an example, as the most recent one we've seen, it's not like four giant beaters on the field and you're like, oh boy, I wonder what's going to happen next turn. It's like they all have ETBs that have their own effect that generate a lot more cascading value. So then even if you remove one of the creatures, like the effect has still been raw. So whether that's the conversation that we had previously or if it's something that like you need better control tools or better ways to deal with multiple threats at once, I would, I would agree with that. Because I don't think that the precision of removal magic meets the dealing out of threats at this current point. The other thing is, yes, like wraths exist, counterspells exist, but I think that they don't um, come in as, 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 as often as you think because a lot of times people, well, <laughs> a lot of times people just don't put them in their deck because they're like, I just want to play cool cards and Wrath of God and Counterspell are not cool. Um, even I'll admit that, even though I love those cards, they're, they're not cool cards. Um, also, I think that like, because we're in, generally speaking, in the four player game, the card, cards like this, I'm, I'm less on about for things like 60 card formats because whatever. Um, but for <laughs> something like commander, like, <laughs> you know, there's four people. So one, if you're dealing with threats, you're dealing with now three people's, uh, threats. So it's not like any one person is now going to have the the wrath that is going to specifically ruin the play you did and personally i think it's better that in the game that i would play i think it's better for you to either have the protection for your play as well um or have the haste or combo piece already on for if you're going to play something like this like if you sell follow stampede into kiki combo or something or i don't know so you, you know what i'm trying to say like something like okay good you've like set that up or like you've built your deck in that way or you just got lucky or you already had like perforos on the field and you combated to something that'll give you infinite uh, infinite etbs with that um but i'm much more happy i would i think the game is better if that onus is on you as opposed to me having to top deck a wrath or already have a wrath sandbagged or something or have a counter spell and counterspells, I think, come up even less than wraths. Personally. Yeah, I, th there are certainly more wraths than counterspells uh, because wraths exist in almost every color. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I guess for me, what it comes down to is like, what if you come to me and you're like, I'm playing like a, a toolbox deck, or I'm playing a control deck. And I do a big setup turn, and I'm like, damn, I never found the haste in that big turn. I guess I have to pass. In my opinion, if I did a turn that is threatening enough that it's about to kill everyone at the table, your deck should be at a power level where you can then be like, I'm going to tutor for this wrath and then cast it. Like, the, in my eyes, those decks are on the same power level. And if you're like, man, I hope I top deck an answer to this we're probably our decks are probably too disparate in power level if i am able to have a big setup turn that is strong enough to kill the entire table but i just missed finding haste because i fucked up my combo or i got really unlucky your deck should be at a power level where it can answer that threat because we're playing in a pod that's presumably playing at the same power level um and if i you know sell Val's stampede into four big beaters with relatively powerful etbs Maybe my expectation isn't that you can tutor for a wrath, but maybe that you can answer two of those big creatures and have enough defenses set up that you can survive the other two. It's, I don't know. I think that the responses to powerful plays 
are generally growing at the same rate as powerful plays, but I do think this sort of goes back to Oakley's take of powerful plays are getting too powerful at the point where you can't respond or at the point where you need exactly counter magic to respond. Yeah. That's kind of, I think, where I where I fall on it, where enough threats are put onto the board that cause an effect now that if you didn't have a magic, you, you didn't have a counter spell then, like you have to wait until your turn to probably draw removal that won't deal with the entire board of threats. Like the number of cards that exist and are good that are like, I, I'm thinking of Force of Despair, which I recently just took out of Tashiro because it didn't feel powerful enough. That's what, destroy all creatures that enter the battlefield this mm. turn? And like, mm. you would think that that would come up enough with these kind of questions, but it, it's not the right place, not the right time whenever you draw it. And it's very specific to that effect. So I, I, I think there's definitely more to be done for threats to be able to deal with those big turns outside of walk. Because like, if, if, there's, if there's like 50 cards in your deck, uh, um, no, there's 10. Um, 10 cards that can set off a really good turn and you're running like two or three wogs, like that still doesn't add up to enough to deal with the problem at hand. So like our, our games will go on for two, three hours, like five wraths have been cast and like you still need another one, but all someone else needs to do is like get one threat back and then they can set off again. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think there's Eric, I, I think you're bringing up some good points. I, I ultimately still yeah. disagree with you, but I think there's a lot of points to be contested within this deck construction, the power level conversation. Um, but I think we've been at this for a bit. So does anyone want to either put one final nail in the coffin or hit us with another hot take? I've kind of got a two banger. It's one point that flows into another. So uh, all right, let's all right. Hit it. first point. Mill is pretty, you know, Mill is always a very interesting and exciting strategy to play and to play against. It is the same general idea as burn but you have a longer clock. The biggest complaint that I end up having about burn in most card games that I play is it moves super fast. And, you know, in a 20 life, in a format where you have 20 life and there are cards that cost one mana and deal more than 10% of your life, is too fast. Whereas I think Mill has the opposite problem of, like, if you have a deck that is 60 cards... Sure, there are cards that are going to mill you for a good amount, but generally, as they're doing that, if the cards are milling to your graveyard, which is what mills, most mill strategies do is send stuff to your graveyard, you're already prepared to use your graveyard as a resource. They are adding fuel to your fire as they are trying to beat you. They are playing against themselves for most of the game, but also I think it opens up incredibly interesting questions. In most games, if you have, you know, maybe three or four cards in hand and you top deck a Windfall or a Wheel of Fortune, unanimously, the answer is drop one or two spells, cast Windfall. If you are up against a mill deck, maybe you have 30 cards left in your commander deck, it is now a legitimate question, is this the right play? It opens up so many more questions within lines of plays that normally you don't have to ask yourself that I think it makes those games incredibly interesting and i also it adds a very visual clock to the win strategy as you are looking at your deck shrink and your graveyard grow or your exile pile grow it, it adds a real stress to the game and it adds a real feel of accomplishment to the mill player i think whereas in burn you watch number go down 
it's it's cool to see the cards move between the piles and watch your win condition progress literally physically and i i think it just i think it's a very interesting strategy that additionally if you're getting tooled on by mill you can tech your deck to counter against it you can sideboard against it you can plan against it and it's inc it's much easier to say i'm gonna add two cards to my deck and gain 10 percentage points against mill than it is to say i'm gonna add two cards to my deck and gain 10 percentage points against burn or against aggro and i think that is what makes it an interesting strategy because as a mill player you have to be prepared for people to already be running those cards or if you're in a format with sideboards you have to be prepared for people to sideboard into that and have cards to respond with yeah i think mill and edh is fine yeah <laughs> i mean like you, you you try to go up against 300 card decks you're doing it the the only real complaints that you're going to find is like uh you milled my win con okay and you milled my graveyard recursion okay and then it's like you could feel bad because you could end up stuck with a pile of cards that can't actually get you anywhere but i think that's just as likely you played your big threat and it got countered or you played your graveyard recursion that got countered so i don't know if there's any worse argument besides like needing thinking i think the only counter argument to that would be like when when a mill card is played you don't have the foresight most of the time to know that they're going to hit your threat mm. and you have to base whether you counter that large mill spell on a chance as opposed to like there's a counter spell currently coming at my um insurrection do i cast narset's reversal or, or something yeah. um so it's like you, you it's more of a, a gamble uh but as someone with a coin flip deck i can't really complain against gambling uh especially in a, a format where i think now every color has a way to pull stuff back from the graveyard in one form or another mm. so Besides, like, Exilator, um, or or um, when when Julian plays against Nulamog and has to exile the top 20 of his library, that, I think, gets into questionable territory. But as far as mill to the graveyard goes, I got no problem with it. I think it's a good strategy. Except where the fish is involved. Fuck that. Are you talking about... I don't want you to win <laughs> Wait, because your mean... deck is gone. I want you to win because everyone oh, else... Oh, yeah, yeah. Are. I'm cl only okay. talking thought, about when you said fish. your opponents, like, milling out your opponents. Yeah. Chev, when you said fish, I thought you meant the big fish that mills Fleet Swallower, baby! Library. Oh, I was like, Fleet yeah. Swallower. I was like, yeah, no, screw Fleet that Swallower's card. Sick as Dude, hell. If, I make, if I make Eldrazi, that card's going in. That's an honorary Eldrazi if I ever saw one. Julian, okay. Fleet Swallower is like a 7 or 8 All mana right. card, and it has to attack in order to work. If you don't... I'll, I'll talk after Oak. Okay. I'll talk after Oak. So... Okay, so I thought that was a very interesting argument that, that had some like a lot of ups and downs for me. It was interesting how it started with you comparing it to Burn as like that makes it a more interesting strategy because Burn is like notoriously not interesting to play against. And I say that as someone who probably would enjoy playing mm. Burn uh, and don't <laughs> enjoy getting playing against Burn uh, because I'm weird. Um, you, you did make some great points though about like how it is more interesting than just, like, watching a number go down. Uh, I Something I, I never really thought about because I, I feel like we do a lot of online playing is, like, the yeah. difference of the card stacks. That is cool. But the problem, I think, with Mill is that I just feel like I'm playing a different game than my opponent's playing. I'm not, like, my opponent's not playing Magic anymore. It's the same with... I, I think I feel the same way about pretty much all, I think, alternate win cons. It's like, we're not playing for the same goal right now. Um... I don't think it's necessarily... I don't think Burn is necessarily harder to tech against 
than than Mill is. Um, there are definitely Mill definitely has some like uh, uh, like Achilles heels, but I, I feel like Burn is just like just like just run some innocent incidental life game cards like Core Firewalker or like Dragon Claw or uh, yeah like like any deck can tr- run Dragon Claw. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, also, Burn is just not a viable strategy in, in EDH, pretty much whatsoever, unless it's unless it's yeah. Big Burn. Not, like, traditional Burn, for, for sure, is not a viable strategy. So it is essentially EDH's version of Burn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you, you did make... I, I think, you, you, honestly, you had me for some of that in there, but overall, I'm, I'm still on the side of I don't love Mill in, in general as a strategy. I can definitely see it feels like your opponent is playing a different game because they are. They are targeting a different part of your like they are targeting a different weakness than most other strategies do and that that feels weird to be exposed to is like usually the fact where it's like okay right if I run out of cards in my deck I should lose because in theory I couldn't do anything anymore. And the fact that someone read that rule and was like, got it, destroy every card in your library. I understand this game completely. Um, but I, I guess to me, I find it interesting in part because it feels like you're playing two games at once. Uh, I think that adds a lot for me in the same way. Uh, this is like one of the like tenets of like uh, running combat as a DM is... If you just tell your opponents, reduce that monster's life to... Or if you just tell your players, reduce that monster's life to zero, it, it gets boring after you do it enough times. You, you've, you've seen, I hit the monster, the monster's life goes down, the monster hits me, my life goes down. You've seen that one too many times. And so, if you introduce a second axis to the combat, it makes things more interesting. And you don't have to do that every time, but it's just cool to see some of the time. And so that's my attitude towards Mill, is that... It's cool some of the time to see that second axis put on the game. That's true. Yeah, I certainly won, like, I know going up against Bill I've run some while isn't a particularly terrible experience or anything. If maybe if every time I played EDH someone was playing Bill, that would be a yes, bit worse. No, it, it would be but... a lot more mentally like, oh my god, this again. <laughs> yeah. I think... I think my biggest problem is how you worded this. First, I want to start off by saying that I personally hate Mill. I hate being <laughs> milled, I should say. Uh, to me, it's it's one of those things where I came, I, I showed up to the table because I want to play Magic the Gathering, and you're actively preventing me from playing Magic the Gathering because now I don't have access to these cards anymore, right? Similar to like when people play like Steel Effects. That's just that's a personal peeve for me. Um, but and, and like Oak was saying. Um, how it feels like a different game. One of the things that I think I immediately think of like any dredge strategy. I'm like, that's that. I don't, I don't think that's magic the gathering. That's, that's some other game that that's like a sub game of magic the gathering, but that's, that's a different podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> dredge. Chef. Shut up. Um, but you said you, you wrote, it is an incredibly exciting and engaging way to play for both, for both the Miller and the yeah. mill ease. And you said that it was interesting. My problem is I disagree with those words. I think that when you're playing Mill, and even though I don't like it, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the game for me. I, you know, we still have played. I mean, you have an around me deck that is a, a Mill deck. Uh, we've played against it. Um, there are certainly, like you said, decisions you have to you have to. There is stri- there is strategic things that's happening like that. It's not it's not like you're just watching someone do like a first turn combo and it's basically just 
did they, you know, did they, did they hit the variance and are they good? And did they win? There, there are decisions to be had on the Miller's uh, uh, effects and then also as, as the Millie. Uh, generally, that is, I look at the other two players at the table and I say, okay, we're going to kill Eric first, right, real quick. And then the, rest, the three of us will actually play a game of Magic, right? That's, that's how it's going to be. Um, but I do not think that it is, it is exciting uh, or engaging. Um, just like I think that Burn, we were talking shit about Burn. I think actually Burn, uh, especially like modern Burn and, and older modern Burn before modern became the the uh, cluster that it is nowadays, um, there's a lot of interesting decisions to play Burn. To be a really good Burn player, um, you really have to know the deck in and out, even though it d mostly consists of just, am I lightning, lightning bolting your creatures or lightning bolting your face? There are a lot of strategic decision points in that gameplay for, for both sides, but it's not necessarily an exciting and engaging way to play the game. I think you should try piloting the Around Me deck once because it is always an incredibly interesting series of decisions for me of, am I playing Mill or am I playing Control this turn? Because as you've indicated, as soon as you reveal that you are playing a Mill deck, everyone at the table unanimously decides, we're going to kill that guy. And you're like, really? You all have... <laughs> 80 cards left in your deck. Am I the problem right now? Um, and, you know... I don't know. Are, did you just play Fleet Swallower last turn? Because, uh... <laughs> I, oh, no! Listen, Doomblade! Anyway! Any deck can play oh, Lightning no. Greaves. That's all uh, I'm saying. Any deck can play Lightning Greaves and attack with haste with Fleet Swallower. What I... Mostly what I'm saying is I think that as the mill player, it is more engaging than I think you think it is because you do have to run a lot of control tools because much like when you guys look at my deck, you're like, man, he's playing a completely different game than me. I look at all three of your decks and I'm like, they are playing a very different game than I am and they are all trying to kill me. Uh, and so when you look across the table and you see a bunch of threats, you have to evaluate, are those threats coming at me? How many of them are coming at me? How many hits can I take? Is this a turn to mill or is this a turn to... Um, is this a turn to mill or is this a turn to control? And I think that applies very similarly to what you were saying about modern burn, where it was like, do I use my burn to remove permanence or do I use my burn to uh, remove life? And I, I also think that it's m more engaging the way that you think then, because if I mill your cards and maybe you're running like in, this is the worst case scenario for a mill deck, I think. If you're running like an is it flashback deck, I have to be prepared for the worst case cards to all of a sudden be dropped into your graveyard and me to be in a nightmare scenario. And that doesn't happen with every deck, but certainly against Toshiro, I have to be prepared to have dropped 10 more kill spells in Chev's graveyard and... Oscar likes yep, Milton. Oscar. Uh, <laughs> there are... So you're saying I just need to be more like Chev. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I've been saying for years. Um, I'm not necessarily saying you need to but, be... But kind of on Chev, that this, point, you, we, should, we should wrap this Chev, up because we've back been down. on it this for is, like 20 oh minutes. Chev, you don't have the magic talking cards. I did not realize we had been I don't care. on this point that it's long. Takes. We've been uh, here for a while. It's only been like, it's only been like 10, yes. but we, My we should wrap this one up. My is a larger version of the same point. There are almost no toxic or bad play patterns that relate to printed cards. Uh, it just comes down to toxic and bad players. Namely, uh, if you are purposefully trying to cause a tie because you think that's funny, 
if you are targeting randomly because you don't want to make enemies or uh, don't have good target selection, or if you are king-making. Those are, like, the problem play patterns with players, but none of those relate to cards. And I think the first thought that comes to a lot of people's mind is, well, what if you're just out there, you know, casting Armageddon or running MLD because, like, that's part of your deck. You're being a toxic player. Don't put MLD in your deck if you're not going to use it. If you're not going to immediately follow up Armageddon with, I'm going to establish a aggressive board presence with the mana I floated, you're being a bad player using cards poorly. Like, that... I really think that based so, on printed cards... So your definition of bad player is, like, intent behind cards as well. Like, the card itself could be bad, but you see bad player as playing cards inefficiently in a way that doesn't win, uh, even if they're yes. destructive. Okay. I generally agree with this. I, I will keep my point short. I generally agree with this. I think that uh, the definition of bad player should be... Maybe that, maybe that wording shouldn't be used, but um, I think it should expand from toxic players to also just uh, people who aren't, like you said, aren't exactly being optimal. And this can include newer players or people who just haven't put enough reps into, especially in a multiplayer format. Like you said, I don't think random targeting means you're a bad player, but I think that over the millions of commander games that have played, um, generally random targeting has proven to be uh, probably not a great strategy. Yeah. And I, I'm very specifically, Whereas, when I say like bad you said, players and random targeting, I'm thinking of egregious situations. Like, obviously, if it's the first turn of the game, you're trying to decide who to swing at. There's probably a correct player to swing at, but if you don't swing at them, that's not the worst thing in the world. I I am thinking of, like, oh, well, like, everyone's got a creature on board, so, like, I'll just pick a random one to remove with the Swords to Plowshares, and you're like, one of them isn't... Like, one of them is a huge problem, and the other one is... Birds of Paradise. You should not be choosing this randomly. Like I, I... go for the birds every Bolt time. Bird. <laughs> Obviously, that's the stronger one. Uh, Bolt the bird. No, but I, I'm, I'm yeah, thinking no, of I, I know what you're situations saying. Reasonable. Of random Reasonable. targeting. I'm thinking of like willfully trying to cause a tie, or like uh, targeting based off events of last game, shit like that. Oh, see, now I can. I'm, I'm petty as I'm petty as all hell. So I don't know about that, but the rest of it, I agree with. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, in general, I agree with this, but at the same time, it's like, I you get you gave a lot of examples of like bad play patterns that involve like drawing out the game, but I think like there's definitely some other toxic strategies that like just win the game instantly. Like I, I'm thinking about like, um, the, the first thing that came to mind is like the Tybalt's trickery, like essentially turn to win deck like how, how is that a, not a toxic deck right like it's just it, it shouldn't exist and people just play it for free wins uh, on the arena ladder when it was a thing like I, I know and i know it got banned eventually but it seems it seems like that was like well warranted yeah and I, I don't think necessarily all bad players bad people played that deck but that deck on its own is just a bad play pattern yeah which is why it gets banned yeah because, like, that, that is the argument for banning cards, is, like, the pattern in which they're used is toxic to the format they're in. And that doesn't necessarily mean everyone behind it could be considered a bad player under the umbrella of, like, you are playing a bad strategy, ergo, you are bad. Yeah, so that is that is included in this argument, is 
with bannings like in existence. So the Tybalt's trickery strategy was banned because it was a toxic play pattern. And so this this take is also that the ban lists have removed most toxic play patterns, if not all of them. So are you saying that a pattern is only toxic once it's been banned? No, no, no. I am saying that they could print a play pattern in Streets of Capenna that is toxic, but it would get banned. I think there's also a bit of a line between discussing this particular point in the context of EDH, a four-player social format, and something like a 60-card competitive format. I mean, as much as I didn't like the Tybalt's trickery, uh, I can't blame anyone for coming in and saying, hey, this is a competitive format. I'm going to get every edge I can to win the game. Mm -hmm. And if that means that Wizards printed a obscenely powerful card or a stupid interaction like that, I mean, I... I played a bunch of, you know, I played Uro for the entire time it was legal and standard because it was just dumb. And I played Omnath for the whole month that it was legal and I mm. won a frick ton. But, uh, you know, it doesn't mean it wasn't, doesn't want, I, I don't know if I'd say Omnath was toxic, but it doesn't yeah. mean it wasn't busted. Also, yeah, I guess most of the examples I, I could think of were for like specifically 60 card formats. Like the, the other end of the spectrum for that is kind of like Lantern Control, which is like, a deck where no like players pass turns back and forth, essentially doing nothing, and the, the lantern control deck can't win fast. Like you can by you know playing an Armageddon and then playing a big creature with your floated mana. A lantern control deck wins by making your opponent die of old age. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. So I don't um, have the experience with that. So, so I am mostly speaking to uh, formats that I I have more experience with, which is like Commander and. Like, to some extent, standard. Um, but it seems like this was not as hot of a take as I thought it was, so I will give up the mic after taking up a bit too much time. Hey, Chev, do you want to do you wanna talk about formats that you have no understanding of, 60-card formats, or do you want to tell me why Tatiova should be banned? <laughs> um, well, I, I like both of those options, but I'm going to say... I'm going to go with the Commander one because we spent a little, a little too long on the fringes. Commanders that directly draw cards are no fun and bad and should be banned. So when I say this, I'm thinking of like Sithis, Joyra, Tulane, AC, Tat. Ones that don't really enable a strategy. They're just like, whenever X condition, uh, draw a card, play an enchantment, play a artifact, draw a card. Like they don't, they themselves, you're not having them at the helm of your deck because they push a game plan forward. They don't have an interesting strategy behind them. They just give you more resources. So to me, that is just a boring play pattern because like they themselves the commander the leader of your army is just like yeah i mean if you play like some cards of a certain type you get a draw card but we're not going to help you get towards your goal besides drawing you cards and especially in colors outside of blue since blue is supposed to be the card draw color uh it just feels wrong and boring would you include like prime speaker zagana in that which just draws cards on etb uh no, because I think I think I'm specifically targeting commanders that are triggered abilities um, that are just like consistent pieces on the board. So like you you get all of your cards drawn once. Okay, wow, that was kind of crazy, but that's what your commander does. As opposed to these, where it's like they themselves don't do anything besides draw you cards. So the reason I thought that would be included though is because is specifically your commander, you can recast it after it dies. So mm-hmm. you draw more cards and. I mean, that's an ETB. Well, no, that doesn't matter. 
but I, I failed to see yeah, yeah, like it. It's a need to be banned already. I, I mean, I, yeah, maybe maybe it extended. Like, fuck it. I'm, I'm good. I don't play Zagana, so I'm good banning that too. I mean, <laughs> with something like that, I'm just really thinking of cards that don't themselves push a strategy besides, like, card hmm. type. Like, I think... But specifically in this way where it's like you're playing this only because it draws you cards. I think that that's a boring play pattern. Chev, I agree. We definitely should ban Osgur, who only promotes an artifact strategy and essentially says, hey, if you have artifacts, now you can not not only draw two of that artifact, but actually put it right onto the battlefield. But that requires it to be in your graveyard. And so, like, that's at least interesting. Like, you, you have to set up, you have to do these things that require, like, certain cards to enter the battlefield. But this doesn't give a shit. Like... It could be any artifact. Like Joyride, you play a bunch of zero-mana artifacts, draw a bunch of cards. The, okay, cool. Like, that's not that's not a strategy in any sense. You play a bunch of lands, you draw cards from it. Big whoop. I mean, I'm mostly joking about Osgur. I think... I, I disagree with your point, if, if that wasn't already uh, uh, clear. I think the thing is that, generally, a lot of these cards... And not that I don't think that Tat is powerful. I have a deck. I, I think it's it does reasonably well. Um, we have seen Sithis do well. Um, it's Tulane, obviously. Tulane's that's another freaking level, honestly. But um, I think the thing is that a lot of these cards, they just if you're talking about something like Sithis or let's go with Sithis because there are corner cases for other ones. Right. Sithis one. To get the full value out of Sithis, you now have to limit your deck construction, right? It's not like it's not like just a five color card that's a, or five color commander that says, "Hey, whenever you cast this, whenever you whenever you cast any spell, it doesn't matter the type, you draw a card." It's like, okay, that's free. I was gonna put spells of all sorts of different types in anyway, but for Sithis specifically, you have to be casting enchantments, so you're already limiting the card pool in terms of what's getting you value. And the other thing is that obviously, even though drawing cards is super powerful. Um, it's just drawing you the cards, right? Osgur, like you said, you have to set up a little bit differently, but now all of a sudden you're getting, you're, you're multiplying your resources because you're getting two copies that go right onto the battlefield. Whereas something like a Sithis, I play an enchantment, I draw a card. I still have to spend mana. I'm just getting to see more options, which is good. I'm not denying that at all, but I think that you're over playing the uh the issue a bit the thing about a lot of colors especially green i love to hate on green we all know this um but the thing about a lot of colors getting this obscene amount of card advantage that they've been getting that's another conversation that's the color pie that's etc and i think in general card advantage is getting a little too free but i think your point in general is a little bit too hmm. pessimistic uh i got Jeff, I just have one question. Sorry. Um, obviously, historic spells, lands, you know, the, those are broad categories. If we were to narrow it down to, say, you know, whenever you cast a warrior, whenever you cast, like, to, to go even narrower, whenever you cast, like, a snake and, and get into, like, a much more specific goal of what you're trying to do, is that still something that you think should not exist? Or, I think that can exist. I think that that's just boring. Like, that doesn't border on, like, this card makes strategy. So the other thing is, like, with Sithis, right? There are very few other enchantment commanders that you would play instead of Sithis at that point. Like, and, and this has been kind of a thing that's gone around where, okay, a lot of these other ones... And, 
you could say that's because the other enchantment ones aren't good and we should print better enchantment commanders. And that's like, okay. Um, but the fact that Sithis can come in and completely kind of warp enchantment-based decks is a little bit crazy. Um, I think with, with cards that are more specific in their card draw, like I just find card draw itself as a supplemental sort of effect to be boring considering anything else magic cards can do. Like even, even throw some fun words around it, it's better. But if it, my commander, the only benefit they have is drawing me a card if I like spin a box, I, that to me is just a lame yeah. strategy. No, I, I, so, that. Chev, if I may... It sounds like your real qualm with this is that you just like commanders that are interesting, uh, more niche, as opposed to these broader, more generic, and like you said, more yeah. boring cards. Is oh, that yeah. really the crux of the issue here? That, because that, that, that ties nicely into one take. of the points that I want to make. <laughs> that is a stance I will 100% take. Um, most of the time it comes up with card draw, I think. That's Because card draw is either card draw or mana production are the two most... I mean, those are the two main resources of the game, right? Mana, yeah. mana mm -hmm. or cards. If you get to, they benefit you get anything. To accrue more of that, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, Chev, I think that ties nicely into one of my points that I agree with you generally. And my thing is, um, I want to make legendary creatures uh, great again. Make, make legendary creatures legendary again. And uh, my biggest thing is that I love the push for commander. Obviously, we love playing commander, uh, having more cards. Um, more cards that are geared toward multiplayer formats is great. But in my opinion, Wizards been pushing a bit too far. Um, like things like Uncommon Commanders, um, like you said, just all these generic commanders. Like we, ne we don't need a Gretchen Titchwillow, right? We were just talking about this card the other day. Just a, oh, congratulations, you know, ramp a little bit and draw a card. Like you said, in my I play Tatiova, but Gretchen is, is just very boring to me. Um, back in the olden days, in any set, you didn't really get more than maybe like three or four legends, if that. And um, they either were very bad back in the in the real old days, or they were super niche. And I think that we need to return to that. One, stop printing nearly so many legends. I forget if we did an actual count on Canada. There were Gallo, 174 there like rare and mythics printed in 2021 new uh, legends and 39 um, uncommon legends in 2021. Right, so... So what over to over 200, maybe yeah. exactly. Yeah. Over 200, uh, new legends printed in a singular year. I think we counted for Kamigawa. It was 40 plus in, uh, Kamigawa. So we're already, you know, we're already 20% of last year. Um, you know, a month into, or two months into this year. Um, I really think that like you're saying, Chev, we need to scale back the amount of legendary creatures that we're actually printing and make them really count. There's a lot of really cool things that we can see legendary creatures do, and we have. Wizards has been really good about pushing design space, making really niche and interesting ones. I'm looking at the two that we just got in the commander decks. The modified guy, super cool. The vehicle one, also, or, the vehicle one and the objectively better, in my opinion, uh, vehicle that can be your commander, all very cool. Very cool cards that fuel um, strategies that um, either were pushed into new ways with the modified, the you know plus one plus one counters have been around for a while, um, or the vehicles, which desperately needed like a real true. You uh, say Depala isn't the leader of vehicles? I don't know. Dwarf <laughs> dwarf car dwarf car has never been my idea of a good time. Um, perhaps I should call it clown car. That might be offensive though. Um, so the yeah, clowns? I think I think well clown car because it's like kind of a joke also, yeah yeah gotcha gotcha you know it, well anyway um 
But yeah, take the time to really perfect these strategies. Make it feel like these are legendary creatures. No one cares if you have a random two mana uncommon tutu that reduces your enchantment cost by one or whatever, you know? Stuff, dumb stuff like that. Like rares, mythics, really flashy things. This commander is all about being flashy. This is your chance to push the power level a little bit. Maybe not too far. Leovold might have been a bit too far. Um, but, you know, and, and also your chance to really do really interesting things that you wouldn't be able to do in um, other formats, right? Or wouldn't, wouldn't really see play in other formats because they're too niche or they require interactions that don't exist in standard currently. Um, but yeah, just make it, make it feel like they are legendary creatures, and I think that will alleviate a lot of the problems that, Chev, you have, as well as other problems that we've talked about on the cast before. Julian, I gotta say, just looking at like your notes for this, I had no idea what this was gonna be about. <laughs> um, like no idea whatsoever. So I have no, res I had no response prepared for this. Um, I, I want to say that a few years ago, I think, or when I first started playing Magic, I probably would have disagreed with this point uh, because I would have been like, yeah, like, w well, what's the harm? Like, just more legendary creatures. That means more like diverse options for like play patterns. But now, you know what? I'm, I'm an old grizzled man. In, in as far as playing magic goes and i want to say I, I agree with you there there should be the legends don't feel that special anymore and i mean obviously some sets like like dominaria like co the original kamigawa maybe this kamigawa can be exempt from that because they were sort of like themed around right legends was a sub theme but some of these legends just, some of these things just don't need to be legendary like and they don't need to exist i i feel like a, a big offender of these is uh, like something you were saying, I think in our Prime Picks episode, where they just got these like five color commanders that are legendary, but they only cost one color to cast, and it's just like, like th we just don't need this many legends. Like it's not special anymore. It, that that's that's the that's the bottom line. It's just, it's not special anymore. No legendary status is not special. That's all there's to it. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention about legendary status? Um, well, before special. we get into that, I've got I've got um. <laughs> Two things, but Eric please, hasn't spoken please, in a please, while. Please. Yeah. So he, yeah. um, I'm also just wanted to say, uh, I looked at it up because I was curious, and I was like, you know, how many legendary creatures were printed in cons of Tarkir? It was five. It was the cons. And then uh, <laughs> I looked it up, and I, I looked up Neo, and Chev's right. That, that's an unfair example because legendary was a sub-theme. So instead I went back to Strixhaven, um, which, you know, feels like it's, it's kind of similar to cons of Tarkir. There's... Five groups. There's a lot more than five legendary creatures. We've got blanks, vexing pets, pest, just kind of like a like a big guy who and like if they just said we're gonna do ten, it's the deans and it's the dragons, and those are the legendary creatures because they're who's important. Instead, we've got like. You know who's a cool student? This kid. She's kind of like smarter than average for her age. She should be a legendary creature. And I, it, you're right. It loses a lot of the meaning. And I, I think I really fully agree with you. I haven't really examined this. Um, I think it's fine to have more legendary creatures as time goes on. Because what more people are playing commander. More people want unique commanders. And they can only print cards so fast. Yeah. But I think that... We, we've gone one step too far. There's a few too many, yeah. and I think it leads to problems. So I've got I've got two statements on that. One is in in the 
the like pro less legendaries camp. I think you you end up with problems very frequently where if you have a set that's based around a certain number of mechanics and you print X number of legendary creatures in that set, there's going to be overlap and therefore it just makes some better than others for the same theme. And I think at that point, it's like, why do we have this? Um, one, one example that I have is Kalein, the uh, the painter from AFR. A red and a black, uh, I think a 2-2, two -two, uh, comes in, make a treasure. Whenever you cast a creature spell, if you use treasure to cast it, uh, it comes in with that many 1-1 one -one counters. And you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Same set, you have Prosper. Prosper, exile a card off the top of your library. Uh, whenever you cast a card from exile, make a treasure. Like... It is just so fundamentally better in every single way that you're like, Kalein is a cool concept, um, but it, it's immediately going to go in the 99. And like, there are going to be the fringes, like you can play Kalein and PDH as your commander. And that is an interesting consideration. And then you get into like, should wizards care about the format or not? I don't think they're building with PDH in mind at this current point, um, which I, I think is a good thing, but that's a, a, a separate point. But so it's like you, you have limited design space, so you're pushing it in every way. There's going to be a best of for every strategy in a set. And then you just end up with duplicates that get thrown out. Um, I think a problem that we have in Commander is because you need something to latch onto. Like who makes you special that you're the commander? Oh, they're legendary. Well, whenever you want to name a character in a set, how do you exemplify they're one of a kind? Well, okay, then they're probably going to be legendary like you don't have someone's name comma whatever and have them not be a legendary creature because then you lose like well there can only be one on your side of the board all those like slightly different rules or whatever and so it's like how do i show um this particular person is key to the plot or interesting without making them legendary okay then they're legendary and key then i only have x number of slots so i i think it's a very delicate balance that i don't know the best answer to but i do agree blex does not need to be legendary <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think this may be a product of just, like, compressing, like, entire storylines into a single set. Like, I remember mm -hmm. one of your hot takes previously, Chev, was, um, we don't need to visit three planes a year, I'm, as I'm reading off the notes yeah. <laughs> directly. Yeah, but, yeah. um, like, it, I feel like this is a side effect of that. Like, if all the, if all the cons blocked had been squished into one, you would have had the dragons, the cons, and then, like, a couple other dudes. Like, right. you know, and that'd be more than ten legends in one set um but you know it was spread out over three blocks and now it's <laughs> now it's it's one set in the entire yeah. story of Strixhaven so you gotta mm -hmm. have Killian you gotta have Simone you gotta have the Gretchen. tea lady oh, no, Dina. Dina. Might be. I don't know yeah, yeah. you gotta Blex apparently you don't though <laughs> like I, yeah. That, yeah, that's, really that's where <laughs> I take exception is where they're like you know what we needed? Black's Vexing Pest, uh, Cody, uh, Vociferous Codex, uh, <laughs> Mavinda, Student's Advocate. Like, even if we say... I just bought a Mavinda. <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking about making a Mavinda deck just as, like, the antithesis to, uh, to Shiro. Yeah. Even if we say, like, we're compressing, oh, so we need to give them more leeway because they're compressing these stories into shorter periods of time... There are still cards where you're like, this is kind of egregious. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, for so, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I know Julian set you up nicely for your Legends point. I have another oh, yeah. point that can bleed into this, so, so I'm whichever one first. you want to do. Yeah, go for <laughs> it. Um, so, okay, yeah. Um, 
Thank you, Julian, for this amazing setup. Um, you got my, it. My next hot take is that the old Planeswalker legend rule was better. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with what that was, it was essentially that no two Planeswalkers with the same Planeswalker type could be on the battlefield at the same time uh, under one player's control. So, like, you couldn't have... Not only can you not have two Chandra's, like, uh, Chandra... I can't even name one Chandra right now. Uh, Torch of Defiance. Torch of Defiance. You can't have a Chandra, Chandra Torch of Defiance, and you can't have a Chandra... Julian, help me out. Flamecaller. Flamecaller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the battlefield at the same time. And I think there's two avenues to this this line of thinking... First one is possibly less important to some people, but it's very important to me. Um, immersion in in a game of Magic. Uh, when I have three Chandras, three Chandra buddies, all from different eras, out on the battlefield fighting at the same time, what am I doing? The, these are no longer like characters in a game. These are just cards with numbers on them, which is like. I, I know people make the the point like, oh, like wizards, they ju they just sell cardboard, like that's their thing. But it's more than cardboard. It's more than cardboard with numbers. It's like story and lore. And when you get rid of elements like this and allow Chandra Tribal to be a deck in modern, then it, it something has gone wrong. And the second point of this is, Planeswalkers are have always been very powerful cards, and I think it would just help the game a lot to make it so that control decks can't play three mana to fairy and five mana to fairy in the same deck. Ah, the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> now we see. <laughs> the real reason. Um, but I mean, I think it would be all right if Big Red didn't get to play three different versions of Chandra. So I think the, yep. I, I think the point stands on either foot. Yep, absolutely. So. What do you guys? I didn't think? even realize this was a rule. I'm fine yeah, with it. Um, I don't care about this at all. I thought it was with legendary creatures. That's why I thought the like the the playing from Julian's big point about legends made sense for for Oaks, but I didn't realize it was explicitly for planeswalkers for a time. I have, I have a few thoughts. One, I I agree with this. I when they changed it, I thought it was dumb. Also, now it's just extra text. I remember because it used to just say planeswalker dash whatever. Now it says legendary planeswalker dash whatever, which just annoys me. I cards are already too cluttered. But um, I think the other thing is that similar to how we have, once again, I'm here, Boomer Julian sitting on his porch and telling you to get off his lawn. We got too many damn legends. Well, I also think we got too many damn planeswalkers, which I think was one that I said in the yeah, last Yeah, that, that was your old uh, one, uh, Grandpappy Julian. Yeah, other stuff. Well, I, I think Still I talking think I, about it eight months later. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think, well, I think the other thing is that planeswalkers are meant to be super powerful and like, and not necessarily warping, but like. When they come down, it's supposed to be a big deal, right? There's and these are the main characters of the set of the of the story. So, if you had this trade-off of only being able to play one of a certain type of planeswalker or whatever, um, you know, one Chandra only, one Teferi. Well, now if that's the case, now you don't need to print as many just garbage planeswalkers. Hello, all the uncommons in War of the Spark, um, and also you can print more generically powerful ones. So when a mythic rare planeswalker does come down, um, you know, I mean, planeswalkers were only mythic rares until like three years ago. And then they were like, here's some rare ones and some uncommon ones because screw it, we're taking the wheels off. Um, you know, now all of a sudden when your mythic rare planeswalker does come down, it can be that more powerful and that more impactful because it's like, I'm, I'm actively 
hindering other aspects of my game plan because I can only play this one Teferi. I can only play this one Jace. Obviously, there's power balancing issues to take into account, but I'm just saying mm -hmm. these are things that we could now have pop into the question um, in that case. Julian has given me more thoughts, either about this point or your final point, Oakley, which is that, Julian, in order for that to matter, in order for you to say, well, we can now have more powerful Mythic Planeswalkers because it means you're limiting yourself from playing other Planeswalkers with that name or who are that person. That means we have to see more repeated Planeswalkers. Last I talked to any of you about this, you hate that idea. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> this does lead, I guess, nicely into my last point. But before uh, before I get to that, if we'd like to take a segue to go to Chev's point that he mentioned right beforehand, by all means. Wait, I got one. I got one more thing to say. I'm sorry, Chev. Uh, but I mean, the the thing is, Oak. What what will happen though is if this implements itself, um, we already have seen Hall of or Mirror Gallery and whatever the new mirror thing is in Kamigawa. We'll get like. Uh, time space slipstream so that now you can play different planeswalkers because technically they're traveling through time and space you know what and it's okay if if it requires another card to do i say go for it i, I say they'll that's fine they'll bring back a they'll bring back a global enchantment you yep. know yeah <laughs> oh god oh god please no. um. all right joe what are you gonna what are you gonna do all right, so so I have I have two things. I'll say the one that can uh, lead into an Oakley point because I think we can tag team this one. Um, <laughs> Alchemy exists. We've talked about this before. This is the format where starting um, with I think Crimson Vow cards will come out exclusively for MTGA that feature online only mechanics with each big set. Um, one of the things that's happened since then is those cards get rebalanced, which is like okay, we're trying to figure out what works. Uh, something else that's happened with that is cards that exist in physical form get rebalanced online. I think those changes should affect the physical cards too. There's long been the idea that um, reading the card explains the card. Like that's why magic works for the last 27 years. And I think this, is, this isn't to the same extent, um, but for the sake of hyperbole and we're reaching the point of the podcast where it's too long to not be full of hyperbole. There was an idea when... Um, nuclear technology was developed where <laughs> someone would have to put the code for a nuclear bomb strike in their chest. So if the president ever wanted to launch nukes, he'd have to kill that one person to get the code with the idea being, if you are going to release this technology upon the world, killing millions, you yourself have to take a life. I'm saying that should apply to physical cards where if you want to change a physical card that exists, you have to break your own game to do it. Because recently we've seen these crazy changes where you're trying to make uh, dungeons more of a thing online, or you're trying to make particular cards more powerful. And what you end up with is versions of legendary cards that would be super cool to play in Commander or other formats where you're like, why couldn't we just print it like this from the beginning if it wasn't going to be problematic? Like, why are we just adding random keywords onto Vega, the... Um, the the owl from um, call time got ward two, and you're like, cool. Uh, why couldn't have it had that in the first place? Or some of my favorite examples are like dungeon descent, an incredibly bad land printed comes into the battlefield tapped, taps for a colorless, tap four in it, tap an untapped legendary creature you control, venture into the dungeon, activate only as a sorcery. It's been completely wiped to enter untapped, 
cost one in it, tap a legendary. That's just a so much better and cooler card. And what happens when you change and a card online to... Yeah, it's still bad, but it would be a lot more fun. <laughs> and Eric would run it in his Legends deck. Um, I, no, maybe. I would. I love, uh, I love the idea of you're in the dungeon. I didn't even know these things were happening. When, when you... When, when you change a card like that, don't play it also it removes the space for another card to have that text. I think, it, or, or it doesn't completely remove it, but it does lower the chances of us getting Dungeons Descent Two Descent more into um, madness. With, yeah, <laughs> into madness with that slightly changed text because a version of the card already, already exists. Same with Narfi, um, Betrayer King. He's the snow and zombie tribal guy, four three for five. Well, online he only costs four. So you're like, okay, so you're changing the mana cost of these cards. Maybe I'd want to play that in something else. Um, Phylath was given Trample. I don't know why, um, <laughs> but it'd be pretty Sweet cool win. like if we could play it. So it's like, why are we changing these cards um, that have physical ramifications, and then we don't get to benefit from the changes, especially if they were found to be unproblematic? Um, so I think like if you're going to make changes to cards that exist in the physical world, you should be able to apply them to the physical cards as well. I will echo this to say, at the very least, these changes should echo out to uh, MTGO. I don't know if they do, but I very much doubt they do that not. they do. And that is another yeah. <laughs> digital format where you are releasing these same cards and can make these exact same changes, and people are actively playing your well, game on those yeah. things, but like you just won't change them? Why? Like, your digital-only cards, change them as much as you want. Like, they, they're, they're not affecting anything. But the physical ones... Like, I remember uh, Julian and I did a had, uh, a Hex Drinkers After Dark, where we talked about some alchemy stuff. And we went through the first list of rebalancings where they brought dungeons kind of back. And they powered up a bunch of cool legendary cards and powered up the archetype. And you're like, sweet, where was this with AFR so I can do this, like, in Commander where I would much rather venture and that kind of stuff. And so it's like all these things where you're... They're a missed opportunity until the next time we get a venture set and we can get those powered up cards. But yeah, this might Jerry. be a cold take I'm hearing. The, yeah, I, I yeah I was about to say you're gonna hear no disagreements from me <laughs> over here. You're you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I I guess to spice things up, I'll somewhat disagree. I think that I think that there's. And this is the worst way to phrase this because obviously we're players of the game. We want the best experience. But I think that really there's just a lot of like um, logistical reasons that this can't happen, obviously. Um, obviously, we can't. One, card things like AFR have already been printed. Um, so it, it's unlikely that they'll reissue it. And if they did, do you mean that we're going to have like now... When you go into Card Kingdom, it's like, do you want Dungeon Ascent or do you want Dungeon Ascent Errata? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, so don't change physical and, cards if this is the impact that you have to do. And maybe you should do well, what uh, thing, Oakley says so, as well. <laughs> well, the, I think the reason is, oh, Oak changed one of his. Okay, um, oh, did he? Because I was Oakley. Yeah, I was ready but, for um, the one of. Uh, alchemy and R&D and how you should spend more time on cards and then you yeah. don't need to rebalance. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think, I, I appreciate, I guess I appreciate, specifically just because Wizards went with the alchemy thing and like rebuffed all adventure and it's technically still not good enough, guys, still not seeing play. Um, I, I appreciate them underdoing a mechanic and not busting 
Because, once again, we're Commander players, so it's like nothing is really going to break Commander until they print, like, Tinker 2.0 or whatever. But um, for other formats, uh, you know, limited, standard, which are still Wizards' bread and butter to, to an extent, um, I appreciate them not going through and really pushing Venture and, like, busting it open. Um, but then, obviously, like you said now, getting to change it is it's hard which i appreciate that they're embracing technology in the 21st century and trying to do this like errata-ing in a digital form which a bunch of other card games have been doing for mm-hmm. you know nearly a decade now but it it's it's the classic it's the classic there's just you know maintaining a paper game and a digital game right you can't play you, you got these issues. me with this therefore you're wrong and uh, that being I, said I agree with that entirely that being said, I do think that it's perfectly reasonable to rule zero all this shit, which we discussed, or maybe it was just me and you, Chev, um, but I don't think there's anything busted going on in there. So, so anything that was buffed, I guess I would say, I think you can rule zero, or if you want to, if, if for whatever reason town razor tyrant is is terrorizing your play group and you want you want the nerfed version you can you can do that as well i want that but, nerfed um, to fairy you know. man we we talked last time about rule True. zero being you, kind of bent uh in an extreme way this seems like uh well online this card is a lot better and i'm gonna play it that way uh but i but i see what you mean right like there's a difference between here's the world yeah. we have here's the way that we can go about it um if we actively want to use those abilities and then there's the more fun way which is don't let this happen in the first place well, we all know that's not possible. Okay. Exactly. Unless. Time well, the other, Chef, Chef, the other thing is they're actively trying to make. I, I think it's good that they're trying. The, the Don't let this happen in the first place. I think it's good that they're eradicating cards in the digital only space to try and make for a better format or to buff things up that people might have wanted. Like, like the Venture. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who would want to play a Venture deck. Like, like Eric. Eric would love to play a Venture deck. Eric might actually play Arena if Venture deck was at least, you know, Tier 2. But it's like Tier 4. So, it's like tier fucking you know, them trying to... Yeah, I don't... It doesn't even exist as a, as a tier. Yeah, it, it sucks. Um, so I appreciate them trying to do that uh, in the digital space. But unfortunately, it doesn't translate nicely to the rest of it. All right. Well, what they should do instead of uh, changing these cards is just spend more time on R&D. Because <laughs> that's obviously the reason alchemy exists, right? Uh, <laughs> just an excuse for R&D to be lazy. That was actually, yeah, that was the original hot take I had uh, that Chev alluded to. Uh, but the thing is, that's not a take. That may or That is actually probably fact or fiction. Uh, it is just unknown. <laughs> it is not an opinion. No, ma- no matter what it is, yeah, that's say, an ice cold. Day. I think <laughs> everyone agrees with. You it. will find no disagreement, and that will be a very uninteresting like take to like set up. Yep. Is everyone so, is going to be like, yes, they should spend more time on R and D. Some of these cards are objectively garbage. Um, so or objectively busted. Here's so here's maybe a hotter one. Um, I think in the story, they should just start killing off members of the game watch. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Now, this this would help fix the problem I mentioned earlier, where the old Planeswalker Legend rules better. Listen, that was obviously implemented because they started doing stuff with the Gatewatch, and they kept printing these cards over and over again, and they want people to play the cards 
the new cards, the new iterations of Jace, whatever, etc. War of the Spark would would never have worked as a set if this if this the old legend rule for Planeswalkers uh, still existed. Um, so, you know what? If they're not gonna undo the rule, I say just start killing them. Uh, real realistically though, like besides gameplay perspective, I feel like the story has like very little to no narrative stakes recently. Um, maybe that's just. I think me. it's building. I think I think they're trying to build something bigger. But you you are right. It's a bunch of. I mean, this kind of goes into the three planes a year um, idea where it's like, okay, if everything is so disconnected and we don't have central characters, how is the story progressing in a linear path? And it's it's not. Like, we have the Praetors every couple planes um, where you're like, ooh, one's coming. And if it was up to Julian, they'd be showing up much more frequently. But uh, other than, like, a narrative vehicle, there is none currently because there was so much backlash to the Gatewatch being a narrative vehicle. It's like, okay, but we still want to explore all the new places. Where are we going to kind of you know, break. And this is where we've broken and it's a less continuous story because there's less characters that follow it all the way through. I would love to just start murking Planeswalkers. One, because I think for the story, like, Planeswalkers are, like, kind of OP. So if we... There's, like, some force that's just starting to, like, just off them. That'd be great from a gameplay perspective. I feel like we kind of... In, in general, on average, we kind of, like especially like the monocolored planeswalkers, it's like, oh, we got like the green planeswalker and they do this thing and we got this other green planeswalker that basically does the same thing. It's like, we only really need one, right? You know, if you're going to start doing multicolored planeswalkers and getting funky, like, you know, like, um, Sarkin? the ninja from Kimigawa. Oh, oh, yeah. That uh, guy. Sarkin. Yo, bring, bring that MF back. We love Sarkin. Team or I mean, Sarkin. I'm, I'm super biased for anything cons block, but, um, yeah, like, being able to just like, you know, like, I mean, it's kind of good that Gideon died, right? Because like, we just got like Gideon like seven times. It was basically the same. And now we're getting like other cool, like, I mean, I don't think the Wandering Emperor is going to well, be a, like a recurring figure, but you know, well, there's no reason to, this goes back to, you're putting too many, printing too many Planeswalkers. It's like a lot of them do the same thing, especially when you're talking about the monocolored ones. I'll extend an olive branch here. I don't necessarily mean kill, like, necessarily, but some crazy shit should be happening to him, like Tamio. Yeah, if only one was yeah. completed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That is the, more like the stuff I want to see. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it doesn't have to be death, <laughs> but, like, yeah. like some like the serious things are moving. Like, when that card first came out, I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> and I think that was a lot of people's yeah. reaction, but that, I feel like, just doesn't happen a lot in, in the more recent Right, you sense. feel like the stakes don't exist. It's like yeah. it's like Avengers movies. You yes. know they're going to live. Yeah. Like, it, so it's, it's an interesting journey, and you're like, wow, I can't believe you'll end up like a sitcom in the exact same place you started this. Yeah. But maybe yeah. you found yourself along the yeah. way. And then one guy dies. Like yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> I, I was gonna, I was gonna very Dak Faden. explicitly Dak offer Faden. up like, do you think Tamio getting completed is enough of a like change from her normal character and like how how she functions? Mm-hmm. And because because that I can get on board with with like more radical things should start happening to Planeswalkers. Like that time Nisa was blue for five seconds. Yeah, and yeah, so, I agree like, with that. I think they should just be more interesting. I, I would very much... She was black for five uh, seconds, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and Zendikar. I, I would like to see more of that. Uh, this is something that I proposed a long time ago. It might not have, might have even been like pre-brew crew, pre-hex uh, drinkers. But, like, uh, they did a card where it was Rowan and Will Kenrith. 
it was two planeswalkers on one card as one unit. It was not a front-back card. It was the two of them working together as one card. I would love to see more of that. Show me, like, what a Nisa Chandra combo card looks like. What does it look like if they are working together as a single card? What does a Jace Liliana card look like? I think that would be a super interesting way to come back to the same old Gatewatch and stop being like, Ah, yes! Drawing cards! What an... It's the... It's the... Uh, like... Sheen, you brought the same thing to show and tell, like, for the fifth week in a row, but it's Jace! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Wizards, you brought the same Jace! Yeah. Um... <laughs> That is very true. All, I like that idea. Oftentimes the cards are just like yeah. the same thing, the same iteration mm-hmm. over and over. With like, a there's not as much design space when like, it comes to planeswalkers because like you draw need a card, that... scry one. <laughs> yeah, draw a card. Boom. Here's here's a two birds with one stone and narrative. Three birds with one stone. Mechanically about the planeswalkers, mechanically about legendary creatures, and story wise for stakes. Have someone lose their spark or voluntarily give up their spark, but then have them appear as a legendary creature. That'd be sick. Yeah, that'd be pretty odd. Yeah, let's see. Let's see some crazy stuff. All right. Let's see. <laughs> and kills a fairy because no one wants him around. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I like his I like his energy now. It's been pretty like ever since War of the Spark was the height. He's now just like a chill dude who shows up and sets. He he's kind of like Gandalf. Like I'm sure the Gandalf card will be annoying and broken like early Teferi when that comes out with the uh, modern set. But currently his role in in things is just Gandalf, where he shows up. He like maybe uses a time spell sometimes. But he was on Innistrad. Um, not sure if you guys remember he was there. Uh, he's shown up in a few Briefly. other places, just like, oh, hey. But isn't, like, a, a driving force or, or doing Teferi, terrible things. Teferi on Innistrad, son, don't you dare go down. I'm going to point at you angrily, I And then it went God. down, and you're like, oh, this is good. This is, like, a, a, but it went down slow. Um, <laughs> Chev, uh, yeah. I, think, I think Gandalf is stupid. What? You're, you're not wrong. Like, so <laughs> that, goes into, that goes into a different discussion, which is about magic systems in books. All right, all right, like, all right. If you no, 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 no that, that is not where I'm going with this at let's, all. Oh, okay. Let's not, we're, we're, let's not do this. So and also, let's not talk shit about my boy Gandalf. <laughs> I, all right, I got one more point, and I was trying to segue to it, which have really screwed me. <laughs> um, I think pretty much every pop culture or meme reference in Magic is stupid and a terrible conclu- inclusion. I firmly, every one of them. So, no to be clear, are you including Universes Beyond? Okay. Yes. I, 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 pop, I pop firmly disagree reference. with that, and <laughs> I, I think that's dumb All because, right. like... Or, I don't think that's dumb. I think that is a limited viewpoint because I think it can be very cool to see how, like, people that we enjoy, especially people who fit in, I, I agree with you... Not about the fact that Fortnite specifically gets cards, but the fact that Fortnite gets cards because Magic refuses to include guns. They have done sets set in, like, cyberpunk era. They have done sets set in, like, colonial, like, kind of eras. And they've always said no guns. And Fortnite is a game about guns. And, like, I, I think that is, like, a huge miss, like, thematically. But when they say, we've got a game about medieval magic and guys who fight with swords and spells and monsters. And they're like, now we're going to put Lord of the Rings in it. You're like, I thought that's what you were talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I think, like, that's close enough 
that sure the card says Gandalf on it if you don't read the top you're like that's a magic card that's a cool wizard guy yeah it <laughs> for me I agree with you on like that... you're already dead I'm like alright come on we didn't need this but I, I think <laughs> universes beyond that mesh with magic theming is fine I take no issue with it I I would say fine is a good way to describe it I would not say it's it's a good idea or a good design yeah. decision but fine i can i can uh, yeah. meet you there for sure I, I think i've definitely simmered a little bit uh after so like we were all up in arms um with the the walking dead one i think that's another example of a flavor fail completely when bringing into magic it's like no the real world exists we also have these terrible characters based on an amc show clearly this is the crossover everyone was waiting for um and then we got stranger things and and the they were a little better. Like, they actually read like magic cards as opposed to something drawn up in a marketing room. Uh, and now right we have their in-universe versions that look <laughs> really cool. And now we have Street Fighter that is reading even more like normal magic cards mm. would. So, like, they're, they're a bit different. I don't think Street Fighter is a very, like, one-to-one -one comparison. But I don't think they're as egregious from the aspect of it doesn't read like a magic card, it doesn't look like a magic card, and it gets a special zombie token called a walker and a bat named Lucille. So, like, we're we're getting better, but I definitely don't think that they're necessary. Um, I think I think the treatments like we've gotten with the Godzilla ones, like we saw with Arcane again, where they showed, like, yeah, it's the same card. We're seeing what this character would do, and we're not limiting design space of in universe characters because something else with um stranger things they got in universe comparisons um lord of the rings will not lord of the rings is an entire set and they've said that this only works putting things on the list uh if they're secret layer so it's like this is a design space that could go to a really cool um ip agnostic legend uh and instead it's going to um frodo <laughs> I, I can definitely see that point yeah. and it would be cool if there were versions with like magic names and if we got to see stuff like that but uh i don't know to me like the afr set was something that i'll always really enjoy and i'll i'll really like mm -hmm. having that as a an ip that i'm really attached to and so this is exactly why when the fortnite thing came out i was like i will say minimal bad things about this because when something for me comes out i don't want to hear shit <laughs> And now, <laughs> I forgot Fortnite was coming when out. When One Piece one sad. comes out, Eric, I'm I'm talking yeah. all that good stuff. As, as and, <laughs> I no, and, and when I mean oh. shit by that, by the way, I I'm gonna be insulting you. <laughs> and you're, <laughs> yo, listen. When they do the Berserk one, and I can get guts, aka Dakon Blackblade, <laughs> I'm gonna be oh. doing all sorts of inappropriate things. Mm. See, y'all almost got me there, Julie. Y'all almost got me there. <laughs> you almost make me Just wait for the Warhammer 40,000 commander decks. I'm sure they won't have guns. Uh, yeah, no. Well, Warhammer... I'm not going to go off on a side tangent about how much I know about Warhammer. We're not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to offer a hot take and, unless anyone has anything more to say about Oaks. Okay. No, please. All right. I just, uh, oh, never eminence mind. effects can be well done and should be tried again. Nope. You're wrong. <laughs> and that's the end of the so, podcast. Uh, allow me to elaborate. Eminence effects were tried a couple different ways. With triggered abilities and with passive abilities. If I recall correctly, those were the only two options. Yeah. I believe eminence effects 
activated abilities with restrictions is the way to handle it. Where, you know, while this card is in the commands, like, each time this card enters the command zone, it gets an eminence token. You can remove the eminence token to take an action. And then it's gone. And it's removed. So you're talking, like, one-time One-time effects, effects, single-use effects. uh, Hell, a once-per-game eminence effect, where it is something truly wild that can be... It can be stifled, it's an ability, it can be interacted with, or it causes something to happen, but it it comes from the command zone because your commander is that emblematic. And I'll always die on the hill that the Ur-Dragon's Eminence ability is genuinely fine. It reduces the cost of your dragons, and they're a wildly expensive tribe that was... Uh, you couldn't really build that strong of a deck out of them beforehand, and the Ur-Dragon... It didn't, like, crack the deck wide open because now you have a nine-mana commander. Like, a, sure, you can cast some dragons for three mana or some dragonborn for two mana, and you're like, oh, that's cool, but, like, it's not it's not breaking, like, even, like, mid-power formats. And so I think eminence effects can be done well if you approach them knowing how much people hate them and take a look at it from how do we make this feel like the commander always has a presence and always has an ability to interact with the game even once it's been countered out a bunch of times and that's why i really like the idea of like a once per game eminence ability once i've lost my commander two or three times to removal or counter spells to some extent it's kind of gone like i'm not gonna drop eight mana on my two mana commander because it's still worth two mana over there as soon as it hits the board it's a two mana card again it's bad again but if it has an ability where, like, once per game you can do something or you can do something with relation to how many times you've cast it this game and that scales well or something, I think Eminence Effects can have something where you do something from the command zone and it isn't genuinely hateful. I, I think the problem with that is... To, to print a card now that has an eminence ability that you even use once, um, the, the commander has to be, you know, decently strong. Um, and then you're adding an ability on top of it that allows it to do something that no one else can do. So you could say, like, maybe it's overcosted or something, but that doesn't apply to an eminence ability if there's no mana requirement for it. And at that point, like, if you have a, a eminence ability that requires mana and requires, you know, removing your eminence token or whatever, it has to be, like, game some huge event like you said and that still to me feels like it shouldn't come from something that's outside of the game i think instead what we could do is focus more on the effects we've seen a little more frequently that cheat your commander to a zone other than the command zone once the tax is high like we have the we have the green enchantment that reduces the command tax by one for every time it's been in there we have the um command beacon that sacrifices and returns your commander to your hand and we have the netherborn altar that instead of paying two mana each time you pay three life so we we have these other ways to kind of put a commander out there and that way it's still a game piece that can be interacted with and i don't need to be running stifle um since counter magic very rarely also includes counter target activated ability so i i feel like we're better off trying to make the commander more frequently a part of the game by themselves as opposed to make them a part of the game by interacting on a board they're not a part of 
I, I generally yeah. agree with Chev's take on that. I think uh, my, my first, like, original thought was, like, maybe, like, I, I sort of think of it as, like, a... Um, a Vanguard comparison. ability? Oh, well, more like, more like a companion ability, almost. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it, you know, essentially, like, if you get... If you have, like, Luris as your companion, you could play it, like, once per game, and then you, for all intent... You know, in principle, get it once... Obviously, right. you can recur Luris, but, like, you get that ability once. If the ability was something like, you know, Luris's ability, once a game, pay two mana, return a thing from... two mana from your graveyard to the battlefield, that's fine. Maybe even, like, Yorion's ability, pay five mana, blink any number of things you control, once a game. I think that'd be alright. But, screw all that, I like Chev's idea better. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> at the end of the day. I agree that... I. For me, it's just the, uh, it's the principle. Obviously, there are ways that you can make Eminence not broken. I think that they messed up on most of the ones that they did that one set. Um, But it's it's just the non-interact. I I was actually, after I saw your Eminence thing, I I was trying to write a point, but I didn't think it was going to be hot at all. It was basically about things that can't really be interacted with. So, like, Hexproof, I don't think should exist. Shroud, um, Planeswalker Emblems, these things that can't be touched, really. Um, and Eminence is the same thing. Like, you're right. Dragon is not the most egregious of those ones. I still, I still think that it is a significant ability that should not have been printed. Um, and even if you said, like, something that's, like, an activated ability, um, like Chev said, the ability to counter an activated ability or triggered ability or whatever is so few and far in between. Having to, like build your deck and include those effects in any reasonable number i i would justify as like a an unacceptable way of like warping the meta or warping the format um and i think once you get to things where it's like a once only or like you have like a, a eminence emblem i think then you're getting too complex for what it is really i think it is that like Theoretically, we're all supposed to start on the same playing field of, like, we have this commander that exists outside the game. We bring it into the game. We built our deck around it like that. Having someone that says, hey, I don't even need to put my commander out because I'm just get, I'm just accruing this value. I mean, that's how it was with Aloro. Like, in the early, early, early days of commander, Aloro was, like, such a dominant force, right? Because it literally just had that ability. It had, you know, OG eminence, basically. Um, and it was a problem. So I, I don't like it on principle, and I, I think that either doing it they would do it like so horribly like it's adventures in the forgotten realm and like you're pushing so hard to have this game piece that's outside of the game but not bad enough that people are upset about it and it just ends up nerfed to all hell yeah it would would either be not worth it at all or it would be still my my final i i mostly agree with chev's point that you know we need more ways to access your cheap commanders once they've gotten too expensive to play anymore and to some extent, the solution to that is be more careful with your commander, cast it when you're in a safer board state. And to some extent, the solution is more cards that let yes. you uh, bring it out after it's been hated out. But my, my final uh, thing, I think I actually stumbled on it in the middle of this because I had not thought of this beforehand, is essentially something on a, a test batch of commanders that can be brought back if it's good, where... Uh, they, they did this on some spells, and the, some of those spells came out really well. Uh, your commander has an activated ability where it's do something from the command zone, 
once a game or once per time it's in the command zone related to how many times you've cast it. Where, you know, if I've got a three mana slightly worse than on-rate commander, and I've played him a few times, and I feel like I've gotten my value from him, it would be cool to say, you know what, I'm going to use an ability related to how many times I've cast him from the command zone. It requires you to play your commander, it forces it into play, it involves interaction, and like, it means you can't just say, my commander's going to sit in the command zone, and I will have value that you don't. But it, it also doesn't require making the card absolutely terrible. You're talking about, like, yes. Genesis Storm, right? Like, Effects like that, that cycle? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like those. I like those. But no, nowhere near as powerful, to be very clear. I, think... I don't want Skull Storm. I don't yeah, want Genesis that's... Storm yeah. just stapled on a commander activated <laughs> ability from the zone. I want something much tamer that I, I think it can be interesting. And I also would like it to very, encourage a very specific play pattern. That is how I would like Eminence to return, is with a focused play pattern and limited engagement and not a triggered or passive ability because those are, they are too easy to abuse. <laughs> Something that could be interesting, I mean, now we're not really even getting to like Eminence, it's more of like a Doretti style effect, but like like you were saying, if, if Strictly it's just because we want a, a way to play our commander again once it's gotten... Um, high and and I agree once again. Like I think that the the real thing is just construct your deck better, protect your commander, play it when it's when it's opportune. I think it's actually better if if people aren't able to just continually spam their commander and, and be so reliant on it. But um, something like a Doretti ability where it's like here's this effect, here's like this mana cost. Maybe it's like roughly what the original mana cost is. Like put your commander onto the battlefield, and then it's like an activated ability version of like Epic. So, like, after this, you can't cast your... This is the last time that you can cast your commander. But, like, here it is, reduced... You know, and maybe it costs 10 mana. And it's like... Yeah. And it's like, boom. It's like, boom. You know, 5 mana or 4 mana. Put it onto the battlefield. And maybe even get, like, a little, little effect if it enters uh, via that. It's like, boom, draw, draw 2, gain 2, or whatever. But, like, now, once hmm. it's gone, it's gone. I think I like that. I also like uh, what they did with the recent Tamiyo. I think that could be something cool, where completed is a mana type where if you use life instead of mana to uh, cast it, it comes down with yeah. two less loyalty. So I'm, I'm thinking of a commander um, where it costs X amount, um, but they apply it to creatures where it comes down with minus one, minus one counters. Um, not <laughs> not Hepatra synergies, but like just, you know, it costs four mana, you know, and you play it, but next time when it costs two extra, you can still play it for four mana, but it comes in dinged in some way. So, but basically now we're just talking of different ways to kind of bring in a commander multiple times with some yeah. sort of detriment which i think is less yeah. of a hot take and more just a brainstorming session and we're not getting absolutely <laughs> wizards hire uh, wizards hire someone else go uh who i have still one has final not... take but i think I'll i've got some left i know that i have burnt out i've got one um it kind of goes against what what i said last time but it's because it's the best of a possible bad situation. Um, so my previous take that Oakley has mentioned before was we don't need to visit three planes a year. Three mechanically unique sets per year hurts gameplay and leaves mechanics half finished with key cards pushed. My take this time, commander releases with every flagship set are a good thing. And the reason I think that is, I think we also talked about no more commander precons last time. That was another hot take of mine. I think commander releases with every set now are the best we're going to get to see quote-unquote blocks 
for each set. So with with um, Neo, we got uh, Chishiro and Shorikai, I think is the uh, pilot one. But these are new cards that add that flesh out the world. We get story relating to both. And normally this would probably go in the supplemental set. Or they try to find a way to shoehorn them into the main set. Neither of which are good options. We got 38 new cards for Commander from um, Neon Dynasty Commander. And those are designs and stuff that allow you to fill out cycles to try new things. Um, with the Commander sort of additional cards for AFRs where we saw them adding every dice type that isn't a D20. Uh, it's where we saw the new cycle of Myoin. It's where we saw a bunch of interesting cycles. Soulbound came back in the, um, I think, the Crimson Val set. So it gives you the space to try things you would have done in the supplemental set to the big set. Um, and it doesn't hinder us in terms of not getting this for another cycle of sets until 1-1 one, one counters become a thing again, until Modified becomes a thing. We get more benefits to the main set's themes to try out different strategies. So while I prefer we go back to, you know, big set, little set, big set, little set, I think I'd prefer this over not having Commander releases with every set. I think this is something I was initially... It does seem like the lesser yeah. of two evils. <laughs> or the... Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you definitely, definitely st started off on the wrong foot, I think, with that point. But you might have me by the end of it. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it's good, too, because, like... You end up with some cards printed that are, like, not necessarily standard, I guess, power level. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you could see, like, a, a reprint of, like, maybe Brainstorm's too extreme of an example. But, like, cards like that. In, in yeah, way to get them in boosters set. that's not, you know, the draft boosters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess but, you also had Mystical Archive for that. Whereas, yeah. like, in draft, they happen infrequently enough that it's cool. But they're still getting a quote-unquote reprint. I, I, honestly, I think I could get behind that. I think I could get behind that. Chad, this is something when reading it, I was like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. And then sort of as you as you elaborated on your point, I, I think I'm I'm just fully over on your side. I think it just makes sense <laughs> if we're not going to stick on planes for long enough to expand, explore them. We need a new way to explore them, and this is this is just a good way to handle it. Yeah. I like it if, I mean, well, they're going to do it anyway, so it's not like it really matters what I think. But um, I don't know. I, I, I like this better if they used it as a chance to stop overloading uh, yeah. The, yeah, the, core, cool. the core sets with commander cards, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, even though we like commander cards, you know, it's like, you know. We've got our double masters. To contend to. We've got our modern horizons. Yeah. We've got these. We don't need them in the main sets. Right, yeah. So, so you can put take all that, put that in the commander releases with the decks, and also, wizards, please, like you're doing great, but like up your reprint game. There are so many cards that are way too expensive, and you can easily just put them in here. What's the uh, motto, Eric? Reprint everything till it's less I, than I fifty think it's dollars, a, yeah. and then reprint everything till it's less than thirty. Thank you. Seems very re that seems very reasonable to me. That's ice cold <laughs> um, take <laughs> yeah. for you. Uh, speaking of. What do we want? All the magic cards. When do we want them? Now. How do we want them? Free. Free. <laughs> the price tag on cards. Uh, adding financial constraints to decks and uh, play sessions is one of the best ways, if not the best ways, way to have balanced and fun games. It doesn't matter if your financial constraint is $1,000 or $50 or $30. 
it matters that you're communicating with your playgroup about power level via cost. It, it is an incredibly efficient way to talk to your friends about how strong of decks you're playing if you go in and you say, this bad boy cost me $35. That immediately tells you so many things about the deck. And if someone walks up and they're like, this deck cost me $250, but 200 of it is in the land base. Even that is an incredible way to communicate what is going on with that deck. It's very fast, and there's an uncomfortable thing that comes up with this, which is talking about money with your friends. It's kind of weird, and it can end up being like a little uncomfortable if that's something you don't enjoy, but to some extent, we are all involved in a very expensive hobby, and no one is shy about that. They're going to see the cards yes. when you play them. Like, you're not and hiding also, shit. Also, <laughs> you can walk in and say, this is a $1,000 deck made entirely of proxies except the basic lands, and no one cares because... <laughs> I, that's a, that should have been one of my hot takes. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I think that communicating about the finances involved in your deck, even if it's just this is how much my mana base costs, this is how much uh, everything else costs, or the total combined price of your deck is just an incredibly efficient way to communicate about decks and a way that something that leads to very fun games. Specifically, lately we have been playing like $50 mat, like $50 commander or like $40 commander. It has led to new cards getting played. It's led to incredibly fun games where, you know, we don't see the same win conditions we always see. And I think it's it's been amazing, in my opinion. I think I think as a data point, um, since there's never going to be a scale that's like my deck's an eight, my deck's a seven, because we all just say sixes and eights. Um, having another data point to kind of base what you're playing against is incredible. Like I do believe communicating the cost of your deck. I do think what Moxfield has done now, where you can put a QR code on a deck box that leads directly to your Moxfield deck, so someone could look it up if you're in mm. an unknown pod and then immediately see like what the cheapest version of your deck is. I think that is a great data point to have. I think as a restriction for gameplay, it works at $100 and below. Because I think once you get past the $100 point, you're at like the top of the curve of Wii Sports Golf, where the thing just kind of like whips around a little bit, <laughs> because there's a lot more room for like where your money is. And so while you may know a deck is a certain amount, it could all be in one particular thing, kind of like you alluded to, um, that could lead to less than fun games. But I think at the, the level where the price of every card is very important and to include a three or four dollar card comes at a sacrifice to the ability of the rest of your deck i think that is when financial restraint constraints will affect gameplay and make for a better game um, I, I definitely think the, i like as med has been mentioned before uh, we've been doing a little bit of this uh you know playing these like deliberately budget decks um i, I do think that is very fun. It has been very interesting. I enjoy Chev's Perfros deck that I've been playing. It's better than my own mono red deck somehow. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's hard to say if we're talking about like ways to put twists on EDH games. I think about budget and I compare that to like the stuff we've come up for like the Hex Drinkers Olympics and like even Plane Chase. I'm just like, this is fun to do once in a while, but like, man, if I could like. If we could do like if we if we could put challenges on our games like every single time like if we could keep track of that or if we could play like the dungeon 
thing more uh, yeah you know what you know what i'm talking about like mm-hmm. the the dungeons and D our D variant do you mean the greatest variant that's ever been created yes. in the history <laughs> like how, how do you match up Magic to that how do you match up to that well like financial constraints yes can be great but there are many things that top I, it, I, in my opinion but it's that doesn't mean it's worth excluding from your rotation. Yeah. I think for me, the important distinction there uh, comes with the words balanced and fun. I will agree that our D&D variant is mm. absolutely, it has the potential to be way more fun than a budget game. But also sometimes you just roll like dog shit and you get completely screwed and you're like, that was not <laughs> a balanced game. That was not what I just was a part of. Um, this is true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. you get stabbed in the face three times. Um, randomly taking a D8 of damage <laughs> is not balanced, and it wasn't intended to be because it was in, supposed to be fun. And so I, I definitely agree other ways to play win out on fun, but I think if you are looking for like area maximization of balance and fun, mm-hmm. setting budget restrictions is the way to do it. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. I would agree. I, I, I would agree it's the best way to like you said, to like, to effectively have that rule zero, what power level are we playing? But I would $50. argue it's even better because, <laughs> because, because everyone will just say sevens or eights. Yeah. It's, it's, it's either this or you say we were playing CDH and then you know that everyone is going balls to the wall and therefore you're yeah, right. CDH yeah. and PDH range. I think I are, are two other ways to set, have clearly defined power limits. But I think that if you don't want to deal with that saying everyone build a deck that costs a hundred dollars at, you immediately, like, everyone is going to be within the same range unless someone purposefully, like, sabotages themselves and is like, I'm going to put a $50 card in there and then a bunch of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, Chev's Hamza deck is a little too powerful and consistent for my liking for the fact that it only costs, like, $34. (laughs) I've changed it to Chishiro, and Chishiro, I think, is better. I I 100% think Chishiro is better than Hamza. That thing was... I love what Chev has done with this, and I, I that, that... legitimately want to play so much more, like, $40 magic because of it. Um, but anyway. I keep trying to build decks, and I'm like, this just this just gets stomped by Hamza slash Chishiro. <laughs> so that's that's been, that's really... I know that I have failed to show up with a, uh, a budget deck for, like, three weeks in a row now. It's because I keep trying to do something, and I'm like, it just... It either doesn't add up, or I want to put powerful cards in, or, or have like a, a certain commander, and I'm like, oh, well, I can't spend ten dollars on my commander. Yeah. <laughs> Crap. All right, all right. So, so I don't if, know. If I'm gonna get doing there. this. If we end up doing this tomorrow, I'll build a non-one-one right, counters we'll, deck. We, I think we have one final point to get to. I don't I understand don't even how think there's going to be that much contention. So Julian, tell me why people shouldn't be allowed to play free cards in modern. <laughs> I actually have two left, but I don't. I, I, honestly, I think we could just skip my last few. Because why? Because we're almost two hours whatever. into this podcast. Does that have anything to do with it? Mostly, yeah. That that there's no good segues. Um, I think both are just my last true two, statements. Free cards should be banned. My last modern mid range doesn't exist. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone who wants to say anything about those, but if not, people can come at me on Twitter because I'm ready. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Or I'll pay yeah, Chev. I don't know how you <laughs> became the plus one plus one counters guy. Like so hard when normally that's like Eric's got thing. To it first in the budget format, I would absolutely be doing that shit. As soon as I saw Hums, I was like, "Yo, I want to play this," but it's like kind of too bad for full power. 
and Chev found exactly yeah. where it was the right power level. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. But then Chev, Chev also was just like, "Oh, Chishiro, I'm just gonna do this." To, he just built both. He was like, "I built." I was like, "Are you just gonna have both?" And he was like, oh, "I probably should only have one." So I guess Chishiro is better. So I'll do that. But I'm like, "Bro, when, 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 where did this Ch- Chev encounters the 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 minus one minus one counters, the plus one plus one counters? Pretty soon he's gonna be playing mono blue counters. It's just crazy." Right. I've got a. I've got a deck tech of the Chishiro. Um, well, actually, I think it dropped last week from when um, this podcast comes out. But it's sitting in it will, our, it our articles folder. It's edited? No, it will already be out. Oh, it'll, yeah, yeah. It'll already be out, but it goes into all the, the weird, cool stuff. Check that out that deck tech. But it's, it's a fun-ass deck. if you want deck. any of the cards from that deck tech, perhaps you should check out our affiliate link for TCG Player and Hell yeah. order some cards through mm. there. It's already one of the cheapest places to buy cards from. It supports our podcast and supports us if you like what we're doing, but don't feel like subscribing to the Patreon because that's just not something that you usually do. I know that I generally don't really subscribe to creators in that way, but I know that I buy magic cards, and I know I'll at least be using that link, and next time you're shopping, feel free to consider using it. It would help us out a lot, and it would mean a lot to us. I mean, if you already have all the cards and you want to support us, you can certainly go over to Patreon because there's tons of juicy rewards over there for as little as one dollar sure. a show. That's all I'm saying. But I understand if you're in the position that Eric uh, illustrated. Eric, you have gotten real, real, like oh, amazingly clean at those segues. I, I, I do appreciate it. It's because Eric wants to go to bed. It's it's amazing what a tired a, man. Can those come segues up with. are much easier to make than segues to Patreon, I think. And B, uh, Jeff is right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, why do you think I ignored my last two hot takes? Um, I, I think it is time to go. This is the Hex Drinker signing out. Pew.